Welcome to Conversations, a podcast featuring conversations about life, theology, scripture, church, and everything in between. Hosted by Genesis Church in Mexico, Missouri. Find out more at www.genesisbegins.com. Welcome, welcome to another uh, conversations with Genesis Church, and uh, I've got Billy Johnson with me again, and this is part two of the anxiety and crisis event uh, series. I, I guess it's a series, <laughs> since now that it's two parts, and uh, and it probably will go into th- part three. So, um, uh, but before we get into all that, uh, by the way, I'm Jeff Stott. Uh, some people said I didn't introduce myself, um, uh, last time and I just started talking. So I'm just not, I'm the lead pastor at, uh, Genesis church in Mexico, Missouri. And like I said, I've got Billy Johnson with me and he is a public safety officer who, uh, is, a does a, a combination of things. He's a, a police officer and fire, firefighter. And uh, he's also an elder at, uh, the church, a pastor, and he's married, got a couple of kids, uh, one in high school and the other in college. And uh, is that right? You only got two, right? That is correct. Okay. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm looking at you and you look a little confused there. And I'm thinking, oh, do, okay, does he have another kid? I don't know about it. All right. So, uh, and his wife uh, watches my kids a lot and, uh, uh, and I'm thankful for that. And so, uh, all right. So, and, oh, by the way, if you are in Mexico, Missouri area, we would love to have you visit with us. Uh, we meet at the YMCA at 10 a.m. Uh, you can also watch us online at genesisbegins.com. So um, uh, now in our last podcast, we began talking about anxiety and uh, or continue talking about anxiety, but in the context of a crisis event or and crisis seasons. And we defined a crisis event as a major disruption or breakdown in your normal or usual pattern of functioning. And a crisis cannot be resi- resolved by your customary problem-solving resources and skills. It's going to take more than what you've got to deal with it. You're going to have to have help. And uh, a crisis event has a sudden impact with ongoing consequences or results. And this turns into a crisis season. So you have a crisis event that happens suddenly, unexpectedly. Uh, it's a game changer for you, and then it turns into a crisis season that you have to learn to adapt and change and assimilate yourself into that new uh, form of living, that new lifestyle that that crisis event impacted. And so um, now, uh, last time, some of the things that we talked about were uh, when you are in a crisis season, uh, it can be a good thing because it it wakes you up and it forces you to refocus and uh, reprioritize. At least um, that's I think that's one of the purposes God has behind it. Um, in a crisis season, every little thing counts. Your 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 routine, uh, the decisions you make, how you react. All just we talked about the little things making. The little things are important during that crisis season. Uh, we also talked about losing your head in the crisis is the best way to become the crisis, uh, and you don't want you don't want to add to the crisis. So when the crisis event occurs, uh, you want to make decisions to where you are part of the solution, part of the ministry, part of the service, part of the help, part of the aid, uh, even though the crisis may have occurred in to you or personally close personally close to you uh you don't you don't want to become the crisis within that crisis as well so uh, i mean uh, and also i i made a statement that uh i may not have gone where i intended to go but I, but i think i've ended up where i needed to be so and what i meant by that is that god is in control um i can make plans but god uh He's got his own plan for me, you know, and uh, my plans are not his plans uh, sometimes. Actually, most of the time they're not. And uh, but he gets me to where I need to be in order for me to be used by him the way he wants to wants to use me. And that journey is not always easy. Matter of fact, it's just about never easy. And because we by nature, we just fight it. We resist it. And so uh, 
All right. And uh, so everything I'm about to tell you, uh, I think I mentioned this last year, everything that we're going to get in today um, was not on my radar uh, five years ago. And like I said, at the last podcast, I, I was when I started thinking about this and Billy was talking to me about it and the discipleship group was talking to me about it. Uh, <clears throat> I, I was, I was reluctant to talk about all this stuff. Uh, one is because, uh, I'm emotional. And so, uh, I may, I may, you know, I may pause and cry a couple of times through this process, like I said last time. And, uh, but also I'm still in the middle of it. And so, you know, when you're in the middle of something, there are things you see clearly and there's things you don't. And so, but, uh, I'm going to be upfront with you. I, I am talking, I'm in my own crisis event, crisis season. And, uh, and I'm, I'm 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 talking out of the middle of it. You know, we're not on the other side of this thing. Uh, we are uh, are having to make some major adjustments, and uh, I'm not sharing what I'm about to share. I'm not sharing anything to get pity or anything of that nature. I, I legitimately have agreed to do this for the purpose of helping those who are going through their own crisis. And, uh, you know, those saying misery loves company. Well, if you're going through it, you know, whatever your crisis is and, you know, and, and uh, uh, it, uh, you know, maybe you'll find comfort that you're not alone, <laughs> you know, that somebody else is going through their own junk. And so, uh, hopefully this will be helpful, encouraging to you. All right. So, uh, Billy, I'm going to, uh, uh, before we get into my story, my event here, uh, you got anything you want to ask me before we are say before I, before I, cause I want to be talking for several minutes here. And, um, you know, once I get started talking about what's been going on, so I want to no, give you, you a know, chance I, to say something before I take over and just, you know, well, I very much appreciate that. But at the end of the day, you know, so I, I think, uh, I think any questions or, or comments or anything that I have, I will, uh, I'll hold those off until you kind of get to lay the foundation, you know, and, you know, one of the things you did talk about was, is that misery loves company. And, and, you know, uh, we all feel like we're alone, you know, when they're, we're, when we're in the middle of these, these dark times, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, when you're in the Valley and, and right now, <clears throat> excuse me, right now, uh, you know, you're not on the other side of the Valley. You're kind of beaming up from the middle of the Valley and still kind of going through it. So, uh, I think getting that foundation down and, and, you know, and, and all that kind of, what you're going through, I think will be good. And then I can uh, hit you with some questions or comments afterwards. <clears throat> and uh, if you, if you, for the listener, if you did not hear the first podcast, uh, uh, Billy has, uh, he's in a discipleship group with me and we uh, met for about a year, maybe actually a little longer than that. And so uh, almost weekly. And so he has been a part of this journey. He's, you know, he, he's kind of just watched me go through this, respond to it. Um, and, so I have given him, uh, you know, complete freedom to ask any question he wants. Uh, doesn't mean I'll answer it, <laughs> but uh, uh, but the no answer, you know, is an indication of something, and that's okay. And I think it's okay, as, you know, if somebody asks you a question, if you're not ready to answer it, it's okay to say I'm not ready to answer that question. Uh, but um, and he can uh, he can interrupt me anytime he wants. And so, Bill, as I go through this, if you think of something, you know, even in the middle of it, that's okay. Uh, you know, this is just a conversation, so we're just ha we're just talking about it. So, all right. So, uh, now everything I'm about to tell you, <clears throat> uh, I mean, every single thing I'm about to tell you, five years ago was not a thought, not on my radar, not a consideration. There wasn't even a rumor of it. <laughs> I mean, uh, and uh, the, my story with the crisis season um, actually, uh, for me, really begins about five years ago. Uh, and uh, where God decided to take my life in a completely different direction. And so five years ago, here's where Jeff Stott was at. <clears throat> Um, Jeff Stott was 49 years old. I'm 54 now. I was 49 years old. And, um, uh, I was 
thinking about, I already had grandkids and I was thinking about, okay, man, my kids are all moved out. You know, Pam and I, we're going to take vacations. We're actually going to go do things that we want to do, you know, and go see things that we want to do at the pace. We we don't have to think about entertaining children. We don't have to think about, well, what are, what would the kids like to do, you know, on this vacation? No, we're going to go do what we want to do. It's, it is now Pam and Jeff time. You know what I'm saying? We put in our dues. We've raised the four kids. You know, they're up, they're out. And uh, I love my kids, but man, I was l- loving this season of life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was about to get, get good. Uh, we were talking about we. Uh, actually, my wife was encouraging me to go buy a bass boat because I love to go fishing. And I've always sacrificed getting a bass boat for something else. And uh, and so, um, and she said, hey, why don't you just go get one? And, uh, and just that becomes your thing. And I thought, all right, this woman's nice. I like it. This is what I'm talking about. So, uh, anyway, so that's where I was. Okay. And so I uh, started the church. It was growing. I mean, everything was man, uh, feeling good, you know? And, uh, and then, uh, one day Pam comes to me and she says, uh, Jeff, my sister cannot take care of herself. What do you think about us? Okay. Pam has an adopted sister that's much younger. And so, um, and she's, you know, in and out of jail, kind of, kind of a person. And she just, she can't manage her own life, let alone raise children. So, um, Pam comes to me and says, Hey, what do you think about us becoming guardians and taking care of, uh, Natalie? And that was uh, the f- the first child from uh, Pam's sister, and so, <clears throat> I, and I went, "What? Ah, oh, no, I don't think so." Uh, I said, uh, "I said now, Pam. I said you know that if we take her in as guardians, you know how this is going to work." I said, "You know, your sister's not going to change overnight. This is going to be guardianship, and then it's going to turn into adoption. That's where this is headed." And I, now at this point, I hadn't even met Natalie at the, uh, at that time, she was about 15, 16 months old when Pam brought this up. And I said, um, I said, I don't, <laughs> I said, Pam, no, I said, man, we're about, we're, we're 50, you know, and uh, I got plans. I don't want to, I've already raised four. I don't want to have, uh, no, I'm a granddad. I got grandpa. I like having the grandkids over do the things in the back, you know, that kind of thing. And so, uh, uh, and she said, well, just pray about it. And so I did, I did. Uh, I mean, I prayed about it. Uh, I talked to some other people who had done this later in life. And so got their advice and counsel, make a long story short. Um, I agreed, you know, I felt like God was leading us to do this. And, um, but I want to be honest, I did not want to do it. And now this is where I began to, this is where God began to take the jackhammer and he was starting to, he was doing some serious work on Jeff Stott, uh, in the sense of dying to self. And now we're talking five years ago. And so he is, he is really, he know. see, God knew that this decision was going to change all the plans I really had for myself. I didn't know the significant amount that that would be at the time, you know, but I knew that, okay vacations now are changed we're going to have a little kid with us okay um just knowing because of our finances and lifestyle i thought ain't no bass boat happening <laughs> you know that kind of thing <laughs> you know first world problems you know what i'm saying all right so uh <laughs> uh and i went through a grief process i did i had to die i had to die to, uh, i had to die, grieve over the plans that i thought we were going to have, you know what I'm saying? And this, yeah. this was, this was tough on me. And uh, cause I was, I was just not there, but anyway, um, but Natalie, all right. So Natalie shows up and she's 17 months old. Again, this is about five years ago, 17 months old. Absolutely cute as I'll get out. Uh, Absolutely. within about four weeks, she has me wrapped around her finger. And the next thing I know, I'm thinking, why was I so hesitant? What was wrong with me? You know, and I absolutely love that girl. So, uh, now, uh, now, now I'm, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I've got a 18 month old that we're raising in the house. Uh, during this time, Pam's dad is struggling with Parkinson's and dementia. He is starting to get bad. 
Uh, he is becoming very high maintenance. He's becoming dangerous. He is not rational. He's becoming mean. Uh, and he is not himself. And, and he was a missionary. He loved Jesus, you know, started churches. He was a great guy. Uh, but that dementia messed him up. And so he was not himself. So he ends up in a nursing home. And, uh, but now I'm leaving out a lot of stuff. I mean, because there was a lot of unhealthy, stressful things wrapped around him. And her dad is named Roger. And so we had, we dealt with him for a few years in that state. And it was, it was, it was a nightmare. And so, um, all right. And then, or right, he's in the nurse home. And so, and then Pam comes to me. <laughs> all right. You know, Pam, you know, Pam seems to be the instigator of a lot of this stuff. So Pam comes to me. She says, Hey, Natalie has a sister. And, uh, what do you think about raising the two sisters together? And I'm going, what? I'm already what tired. My bass boat. My bass boat, but yes. vacations, but just sitting in the living room, reading a book with nobody disturbing, you know, and just sitting in the backyard, watching the grass grow. I mean, just, you know, the house is clean. There's no toys. There's, what, what's what you talking about? So, uh, uh, again, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. I'm trying to go through five years real quick here and I focus in on the last 12 months. So now, uh, I, uh, um, again, I prayed about it and I talked to some others about it, got some godly counsel on that. And so, uh, I did feel like God was leading us to raise those two girls together because, you know, in the, the in the reality is Pam and I will not be around in their later adult life. I mean, uh, more than likely, uh, Pam and I, um, I mean, if we lived it to our seventies, okay. If we make it into our mid seventies, the girls are only going to be in their twenties. You, you see what's happening here. So yeah. by their mid thirties, we are, we're going to be out of the picture probably fairly significantly, uh, in some form or another, you know? And, uh, so I thought, you know, okay, yeah, they're going to need each other. So we'll, we'll give them an opportunity. You know, they'll have each other. They can grow up together and be there together, you know, at least as sisters. And, uh, so, um, uh, so now our house has gotten larger. Our household has gotten larger. It's me, Pam. And when I, the house, when we moved to Mexico with the house I bought, I didn't, we weren't, I was, I didn't buy a house thinking, oh man, I need office space. I need, you know, I need extra bedrooms for children. I mean, I had a smaller yard and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, so Pam and I began thinking about um, her mom moving in with us because of her dad is, you know, going into the, at this point, going into the nursing home. And, um, and so uh, that was another thing. Pam said, "What do you think about mom uh, moving in?" <laughs> and, I'm starting to see a I'm starting to see a pattern here. Yeah, Joe. yeah, you are right. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, yeah. Thank God for Pam. Thank God, for Pam. And yes. so, <laughs> um, so anyway, um, you know, and uh, you know, the Bible's real clear about taking care of your your parents and the, you know when they get older and stuff. And so that to me was a no brainer. I said absolutely. Um, and it wasn't like I was saying, yes, absolutely. That'd be great, you know. And um, yes, I want to have a, you know, two little girls and I want a mother-in-law here. Awesome. That'd be great. Yeah, let's do it. So anyway, make a long story short, we ended up selling our house. We had to buy a larger house is what happened. And so we bought a house with more room. God provided an incredible house for us. And so, um and because of the church plant, the, past, the church I pastor, I have to have a home office and I have to have storage space uh, for like, you know, office supplies and stuff like that. So we were looking and God provided the right house. So now, all right, so what we have now is uh, uh, I've gone from me and Pam uh, to just bass boat, to vacations, to a quiet household, to sitting around the house, watching, reading, you know, uh, I had a book I wanted to write. Uh, just, you know, that's one of my bucket list things. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, so anyway. Um, you know, life was good. Now it's turned in. Now I'm at the point where I am. Uh, I've got uh, two little girls. Uh, I've got a father-in-law who is, you know, uh, going into, at this point, going into the nursing home and, uh, and a mother-in-law that when he goes into the nursing home, she's going to move in with us. And so now we're moving. All right. So the stress, all that. So what, what you should be hearing is stress, 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 stress. Okay. That anxiety. is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Anxiety, 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 anxiety. So, uh, so anyway, then, uh, uh, <laughs> um, all right. So then we get the house, we get moved. Uh, Roger, uh, Pam's dad goes into the nursing home and, uh, and Carol Pam's mom moves in. 
And so, uh, and now we're in the new house. It's great. We've got a lot more room, got a bigger yard, the whole process. Um, and uh, let's see here. Let me think. Through. Now, at this point, uh, at this point, I really began to notice something was not right with Pam. But this is early on, okay, before she was diagnosed with leukemia. Something wasn't right. Uh, she was extremely tired. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times we thought it was just her blood disorder that she's had for years, and and she's also diabetic. And so, you know, maybe it's the carbs that they were out of whack. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And so she was talking to a doctor, and they were working on stuff. And uh, so it was during this time that Pam's dad was now he was placed on hospice. And uh, due to some logistical issues, um, it it was best for him to live with us. So now Roger moves into the house with dementia, with Parkinson's, and um, and now he's it, now it's full twenty four uh, full time twenty four carrier. Okay, so now <clears throat> what's happening is in my household, I have two little girls. I've got a mother-in-law and now I've got a father-in-law who's on, who's on hospice. Okay. So, um, stress, stress, can stress, I, can stress. I hit, can I hit pause right there just for a moment? Sure. Tell me how, okay. So all of these changes happen, mm -hmm. all of these plans get shifted. How, how were you? What what was your what was your state of mind at that time? Just overwhelmed and keeping to move keep moving forward. I mean, can you tell me kind of how you were feeling at that time, or was it just kind of a kind? Of, I mean, obviously you were stressed, but where you know, um, I don't know. Just kind of overall, how were you feeling? How were you holding up at that time? Um, I was going through the grief process. Um, because I I you know the life that I thought I was going to have is not going to happen. You right. Know? It was transforming right in front of you. Yeah. And it was transforming. Now, again, I decide, I mean, I agree. Yeah. Let's take the girls in. I mean, I made some yeah. decisions here. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying that what I guess what I'm trying to say is that when you're, when you're going through a crisis or you're going through changes like this, major changes in your life, and it alters the future of your life, um, from one that you wanted and expected to something that is going to be difficult, um, you're going to go. You're going to go through a grief process, and uh, doing what God wants you to do is not all laughter and joy. I mean, it is sacrifice, and and at the, during this at this point. God is hammering on me because I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark. I'm, I'm studying, I'm teaching through this. And the thing that keeps coming out of uh, the gospel of Mark is serving others for me, serving others and dying to self. You know, where Jesus is you bringing up dying to self a, a lot, you know, right. uh, during that time. Yeah. And that's because uh, uh, that's what God was working on me. I was having to, I was having to learn to die to self. I thought I knew what it meant. Okay. And uh I, I don't fully understand it, but I, I I do know this with where I'm at now, I have a better grasp of what it means to die to self. And dying to self is not fun. It's not easy. And that's why we Jesus has to tell us you're gonna have to die daily because you're gonna want to put yourself out front every day. No doubt. You know, that self is relentless, man. So you're gonna have to crawl back up on the altar and die to self every morning, you know, and probably at lunchtime and then in the afternoon and then at night. I mean, it's just, it's just constant thing. Um, so I was, I was actually, I wasn't depressed, but I was, um, I was definitely grieving and, uh, I was going through, uh, the grief process and, uh, I did get angry. Uh, there were times where I got angry at God, even though I, because I, and I say angry at God, because God, why, why, why did you place this on Pam's heart and my heart? I don't, I don't want to do this. You know what I'm saying? This is not what I wanted to do. So anyway, uh, all right now. So we're in the new house. Um, mother-in-law's there. Uh, father-in-law's in the house. Uh, he's hot. He's on hospice. He's dying. And, uh, got two little girls and I've got a, I got a wife who is starting to be sicker than normal. Okay. All right. So, um, 
So uh, let's see here. Now, uh, he, uh, uh, Roger is with us for uh, several months, and uh, he passes away last May. Okay, so the, we're now the, the the if you're paying attention to this, I've given you. I started five years ago. Now we're within the last twelve months. Okay, so now everything's recent. So last May, uh, uh, Roger passes away, and so you know that's that was. I don't want to say traumatic, but it was, uh, there was some relief there, but it's a change. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, one month later, one month, Pam is diagnosed with acute, acute leukemia. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is the scary kind. That is the one that the doctors go. They don't tell you, but you're th- you're, you're you're talking months at this point. I mean, you're going to need a hell mary. You're going to need a miracle. And at this point, this is where the crisis event kicks in. This is where. Uh, That is a game changer for me. Now, it's for Pam as well. And Pam, maybe on the other side of all this, we'll bring Pam on the podcast and we can talk about it and she can share her thoughts. But uh, from where I'm sitting, I'm thinking, oh, my word, I am 54 years old. At this point, I got a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And I've got a mother-in-law that lives in my house. And I'm pastoring a church. And I'm thinking, what, how is this thing going to work out? How is, how, how do I do this? Uh, So uh, she made, Pam immediately goes into the hospital for about a month and they immediately start giving her chemotherapy and all this kind of stuff. Now, then it's, now it's downgraded while she's in there, they go from acute to accelerated leukemia. So, uh, and which is a lot better. I mean, anytime the word leukemia is in your diagnosis, it's not a good thing, but there are levels to it. Okay. So we're not, no, we're not dealing with acute. We're dealing with what's called accelerate. And so, uh, so now we go and she doesn't feel good. Pam does not feel good. She feels terrible. Um, at this point, uh, we start doing this chemotherapy once a month, going to the hospital for about, a, you know, um, for five days straight once a month. And so, uh, I'm taking her up there. I'm taking my office with me. So while she's getting chemo, I'll go down to the cafe at the uh, hospital and I just set up my, my office and the stuff and I do, I do my thing. And so make phone calls, uh, you know, work on sermons or whatever, and just work on administration stuff at the church. And so, um, and while she's doing that. And at this time, at this point, Pam is uh, trying to help, but her energy level so low that she's, and, and, and I've, and then, I would tell people when they would ask, I'd say, well, when they would ask about this kind of thing, I would say, well, Pam is, she's there, but she's not there. Okay. She's in the house, but she's, you know, she just doesn't feel good at all. And so, uh, so I entered into this, what I call the single dad mode. Um, so I immediately, once she was diagnosed, she's in the hospital, I'm immediately trying to, uh, find childcare for both children because Pam had been between Pam and Carol, her mom, they were had been watching the children during the, you know, like Emma during the day and Natalie was in school. And so uh, I'm finally trying to find childcare for Emma for Monday through Friday. Uh, you know, I'm trying to decide, okay, what do I do with Natalie? And so I'm looking at after school programs. I'm still, I'm doing all this stuff, trying to arrange all this stuff. Now, with all that said, now all of a sudden it, it also affects your finances. Because now uh, I've never had to pay like for ongoing childcare Monday through Friday. And by the way, it ain't cheap. Okay? It is not cheap. <laughs> it is not cheap. So uh, um, so um, we're having to readjust the budget. Again, there goes that bass boat. You know, you know what I'm talking sure. about. All right. Sure. Actually, this Absolutely. at this point, at this point, I had I had upgraded my dream from a bass boat to what's called a bass buggy. And it's a it's a comma. It's a combination of bass boat and pontoon boat. So I really like. I like the sound of that. The I, bass I really buggy. Like the yeah, yeah I, I like yeah. the sound of that. I think that would have been a good 
a good yeah. choice. Yeah. And if anybody just feels generous, you can buy them at Bass Pro. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's one about 45 minutes from my house. Just, I'm just throwing that out there. All right. So, right. <laughs> anyway, um, so, uh, Get, uh, God provides the child care. I mean, we're making it happen. Um, Pam was doing the, you know, the chemo treatments. Uh, and, and then in, in, in the middle of all this, uh, uh, Pam's brother, uh, who's a, who was a pastor in Wyoming, uh, his wife's, uh, dad, uh, got sick and he eventually passed away, but, uh, make a long story short, they end up having to relocate from Wyoming back to South Missouri. And Dan was a bivocational uh pastor. And uh meaning, you know, he pastored church and worked at a, another job like full time. And so he had he uh uh worked at a distribution center or something like that for Walmart. Anyway, uh he transferred down here, but he he has to until he finds a job down where his uh wife lives down in South Missouri, uh the place he's transferred to in Missouri is about an hour away from our house. And so he lives with us about four days a week, four or five days a week. And then he goes home. Um, and then he comes back up and lives with us and goes to work and that kind of thing. So, uh, so now, um, I've got a, I got a, I got a brother-in-law and he's a nice guy. He, he's low maintenance, but if it, but you know how it is. And this is not a, again, this is me, not him. Uh, uh, when you have people in your house, it's just stressful. You know what sure. I'm saying? We just have guests, you know? And so we had to adjust uh, uh, some things around his schedule because he gets up at 1230 in the morning, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing goes to bed at 430. Wow. Yeah. You know, that in the afternoon, 435 o'clock. So uh, we had to adjust some things, you know? And so that's a, that was, a, that was, there's some stress there and, and uh, on top of everything else. And that's not a major thing. I'm just saying that's just part of the mix. Um, so uh Let's see where I'm at on the story. All right. So Pam's brother moves in. And so now before leukemia entered our lives, we had, uh, again, began this whole adoption process. And so while Pam was taking chemo at the uh, university, um, the, we got, we didn't think the adoption would happen until the following year. And so our lawyer in Oklahoma called us and said, Hey, uh, 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 can y'all be here? Like, it's like in two weeks to, you know, go to the courthouse, do the, go to the judge and finalize everything. And I'm thinking, Oh man, Pam feels terrible. We're talking about a six hour trip. I'm thinking, so Pam and I, she said, well, let's just make it happen. Let's just do it. And so we'll just do it in between the treatments, you know? So, uh, we go, we take care of it. We get back and now that's official. So now we officially have Emma, you know? And so now she is Emma Joyce dot. So, um, then this past uh, uh, January, Pam enters the bone marrow transplant unit in St. Louis because she was on a bone marrow trans. She needed a bone marrow transplant. She was on the list, and they finally found a donor uh, who's in Poland of all places. So she's mm -hmm. getting some guy, you know, some guy, some Polish guy, you know, with a DNA. And so whenever she gets out, she wants to celebrate uh, uh, her bone marrow transplant with some kind of like traditional. Polish meal, which I have no idea what that's going to look like, other than Polish sausage or something. I don't know. So, <laughs> so anyway, you have to do some more research on that. Yeah, I got to do some more research on that. So, Pam enters the bone marrow transplant unit in St. Louis at the end of January of this year, uh, and um, they give her a high dose of chemo that just makes her miserable for about two weeks. I mean, she is just absolutely miserable. And um, then, um, after she's in the hospital for about a month in St. Louis. She then moves into the Hope Lodge, February the 20th. So now, now the timeline, if you're paying attention, February 20th, uh, at the time of this recording of the podcast, uh, that was about two weeks ago. Because right now, today is March the 2nd. So uh, she moves into the Hope Lodge. Um, and she's having, I don't want to say complications, but I don't know of a, any other words, but some of her complications are they're struggling with her blood sugar. They can't get that thing worked out because it swings. Uh, back and forth, you know, and she's got some other, you know, extreme fatigue, extreme tired. And uh, now uh, this week, now we're into this week, this week uh, I get a call and I'm, I'm told that Pam has COVID. Now, again, she has no immune system, zero. And so we're thinking, oh, my word, this is going to be bad, you know, so because what, how is this going to affect her? And so, uh, but that creates a domino effect 
because at the Hope Lodge, which is run by the American Cancer Society, where she's staying, um, you you can't have COVID and be in the Hope Lodge, okay? Because there's other patients in there uh, who have no immune system or weakened immune systems and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, so this week we began to try to find a place for her to stay. The hospital, uh, the bone marrow uh, transplant clinic. Uh, they have about four or five hospital uh, hotels that they partner with, and we were able to get her in uh, one of those. And so uh, and that's where she's at now. Um, and a friend of ours named Brenda, she has been there the whole time. She is the uh, caregiver there. She lives with Pam, and Pam has to have somebody with her 24-7. And so she's been an absolute blessing. Now, okay, so uh, there it is. That's what's been going on, and and, and I am in the middle of all this. Okay. And uh, so now here's what we're going to do. <laughs> and uh, I want you to keep in mind that I am sharing some of this stuff and sharing my thoughts again from the middle of it. Okay. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what I think about it a year from now or two years from now. And uh, and so I did, uh, by the way, I did ask uh, the bone marrow transplant team, one of the team members, I said, I said, how do you know when it's a success? I mean, when do you, what's the criteria for when, when do y'all say the bone marrow transplant was a success? It worked, you know, what are y'all sure. looking for? <laughs> the answer uh, is frustrating because here's what, here's what, here's what, here's what they said. Uh, we will know if it's, if it's a success in about a year. Wow. Wow. And then she went into explaining why and it's very complicated. And so, uh, and it's the, the finish line is very fuzzy, you know? So, cause it's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on with a uh, bone marrow transplant. And so, uh, and I'm thinking, okay, it's not really, cause I'm a, I'm a type a personality. I like list. I like finish lines. You know, I want to be able to say that's done. We're moving on. That's not how this works. So, um, all right. So in the middle of all this, I guess my question that we're going to be talking about is, you know, what, what was God doing? You know, what am I learning and what is God teaching me through all this? And, uh, if you're listening to this, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, your crisis is, is, could be a lot worse with whatever you're going through. Um, or it may not be as bad, uh, but either way, whatever your crisis event is, it's your crisis event, and it's significant to you, and it's impactful to you, and uh, God is talking to you. Uh, and one of the things I've learned is is that He, God, was actually talking to me about all this. before it ever happened. I didn't, I didn't quite connect the dots. I didn't know what was going on. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but, uh, God was preparing Pam, but, uh, God was also preparing me and he was getting me ready for this, uh, in some very specific and unique ways. And, uh, and he's doing the same for you. Uh, he, you know, he knows what's coming down the pipeline of your life and he's getting you ready for it. And we're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. So Billy, all right, there it is. There's the story. That's the crisis event, crisis season. All right. Uh, before I get into some lessons learned here, comments, questions. Well, I, I had a couple of things that, uh, that I was, that came to mind while you were kind of laying that out. And so one of the things that, uh, that popped in my head you know, you are a very A-type personality type. You do like lists. You do like finish lines. Um, and how did you or have you been able to come to terms with just the fear that, you know, not only what will my life look like, but, you know, that this is happening to your wife? You know, uh, that this person that you've, I mean, how long have you guys been married? Yeah, we've been married uh, 33 years. 33 years. So you've mm -hmm. got this person that has been by your side, has been a blessing, has been all of the things that she's supposed to be, and you are watching this happen to her. Mm -hmm. Have you come to terms with that or or how 
how do you wrestle with that and how do you keep from breaking down every day and, and you know and, and you know just the fear of of watching someone that you care about kind of have to suffer through this i mean how how do you deal with that <clears throat> uh okay so uh the first thought that comes to mind is that whenever i go visit her now i don't see her every day we, we facetime and we talk every day uh and when uh okay when she was in the at the bone marrow clinic um, I'd go every week and, uh, you know, take her stuff, pick stuff up. But every time I left, every time I left the hospital room to head back home and I would do this during, you know, school hours. So the kids are you know in school or babysitters or childcare. And, um, every time I left, I felt so awkward because I mean, I felt helpless. I mean, there was this internal, I felt like I was abandoning her in some way because I was just leaving her at the hospital. I mean, because there's literally, you know, outside of prayer, there is nothing I could do that I could put right. my hands on. You know, uh, I can't. And so at this point, there's there's outside of making sure she has what she needs, uh, making sure that whatever she wants, I get to her. Uh, but I mean, just there was this sense of helplessness, to be honest with you, because um, I didn't know what to do and I, I didn't. And I couldn't do anything. I mean, to make it go away, make her feel better. And I mean, she was, you know, especially during those two, three weeks where she was absolutely miserable. She had sores all in her mouth and throat and just a swallow saliva uh, was painful. I mean, she uh, would, would cry just to swallow. It was so painful. And uh, and that was due to the treatments that she was getting. And that was expected. They just didn't realize it. You know, most people don't have it as bad as she had it with the sores in the mouth and the throat. But she was for some reason she got it really really bad and so uh yeah for me i just felt helpless and i'm still dealing with that you know um because here's here's one of the things that uh, uh that's i don't want to say weird um just because your spouse gets sick life does not stop no i mean life does not stop and it uh, i'm not a nascar guy but now that football's over, I just like competition. So I was watching the Daytona 500. Oh, I had it on. It put, I recorded it, and I and I had it on while I was doing something else. I really was watching it. And these guys were, man, they're going, uh, they're going about 180, 190, occasionally 200 miles an hour. Okay, around that track. And uh, and when it's time for a pit stop, they come zooming in there. They slow down to about 60, 70, 80 miles an hour. They come flying in there and they turn in there and these guys jump on the car, zip, 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 boom, 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 and out they go, you know, and, and I discovered that my pit stops where I would sit down and relax. It was like that because, it's, uh, cause I'm sitting, you know, like, like, you know, moments when I would take a break uh, and I'm using words like, uh, you know, take a break. I would take a break, but the break was like, really, I'm taking a break in a hurry, you know, sure. because uh, the, the, again, the single dad, I mean, I got my life. I got, I got to be a parent, you know, I got to take care of Pam, got to go to St. Louis, all this kind of stuff. Got to get this, got to talk to the insurance company, got to make this arrangement, make that arrangement. And I'm just, you know, a lot of plates are spinning and, um, and I did take a week and I, when you know, when I took a week off, whenever Pam went into the bone marrow transplant, just to take care of a lot of personal stuff that I just needed to get on top of before, you know, it got out of hand. And so, uh, but, I, uh, yeah, helpless. That was, that would be the word. I just felt a little helpless and just a little, I, I, I don't, there were times where I felt a little overwhelmed, but I never felt like overwhelmed where I just shut down, you know, that's not my personality, but, uh, uh, but it, um, exhausting i think would be i felt that way <laughs> you know at times you know and so yeah good stuff. any other questions before I, well, we get into some of this other stuff sure and i also you know how so obviously through this and maybe you'll talk about this i i, I don't know what other things you had planned on talking about in this particular podcast but um how difficult has it been for you uh to reach out to people and let them help you at first, it was very difficult because I'm a, I can get it done. I'll do it. I'll make it happen. You know, 
And people, you know, and gracious people, precious people say, hey, Cal, can we help, you know? Um, you know, and they've helped quite a bit. And, and I'll get into that here in a minute. But uh, but it for me asking, uh, it was uh, humbling in some way and just not who I am. You know, especially when I had to start asking for like, okay, as a pastor, I do a lot of stuff in the evenings, meaning because everybody else has normal jobs. They clock in at nine, get off at five or whatever, you know, eight to five or whatever. And so, I, you know, when it comes to counseling or when it comes to, you know, elders meetings, leadership meetings, or when it comes to life group, discipleship group, all the, whatever I'm involved in, um, it, uh, it normally happens in the evenings. And so, uh you know, asking people to watch the girls all the time. And then I started feeling bad about that because, you know, I'm not the girls, you know, I picked the girls up, you know, after school or well, and after the school pro, uh, programs and, and I get them supper and then boom, some babysitter shows up, you know, and uh, they normally keep them here at the house. Sometimes they'll take them off somewhere else. But, uh, but I felt bad about that, you know, so there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on inside of me. And so I felt bad about sort of, giving the kids away all the time and even so I could do my job, if you will. And, um, which I never had to do that before. Uh, and then asking, uh, there were times where I would be in St. Louis and I realized I wasn't going to get back in time. So I'd have to call somebody to pick the girls up. And I, I always felt like I was inconveniencing these people. You know what I'm saying? And I felt bad that I wasn't. So in my mind, I'm thinking like this, I should have organized my time better. I should have planned ahead of time. I should not have to call these people at three o'clock in the afternoon and say, Hey, can you pick up Natalie and Emma? You know, that kind of thing, you know? Sure. And so, but I'll be there by six or I'll be there by five. I'm just running late, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was difficult, but I, I will say I've gotten better at that now. Uh, I do find myself thinking, all right, who else can do this? You know, besides <laughs> me, you know, who, who, who has said they want to help and I'm taking them at their word, you know, they say, <laughs> sure. hey, if there's anything we can do, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, so here's the deal. If you're listening to this and you're in my life and you say, if there's anything I can do, I am going to take you seriously. Because I will tell people, I'll put you on the list. And I do. I'll put, I say, okay, they said they could help, you know. And so I'll, I'll put them on my little list. And, uh, uh, but anyway, it's, uh, but God has provided quite a bit there, you know, and helped me yeah. come along in that. Uh, I don't feel as bad asking for help because now I, I had, it, it, you know, it, it took a little while to believe that people actually wanted to help. Yeah. Sure. I, know sounds, I know that sounds strange. You know, but I appreciate I, that honesty. Yeah, uh, because you know, I mean, I know how I know how people are. You know, oh, if there's anything I could do, I would love to help, but just make sure it's not, in, just make sure it doesn't inconvenience me. Sure. Okay. Sure. You know, that's that's what I'm hearing them say. You know, and uh, because in my head, that's what I've said so times. Like, hey, sure. Is I can do. I would love to help, and I'm thinking, I hope not, because I'm too busy. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, how, what, what time? Did, I don't even, I, I've got to write down the time we started. Uh, we're going to go for about another 10 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, and then, uh, we can pick up next time on this. But, um, all right. So I had mentioned that God was preparing me ahead of time and, um, for all this, right? Uh, yes. okay. So, and here's the phrase along the, somewhere along the process, I picked up this phrase, uh, for this. And I just call it counsel before the crisis counsel before the crisis. So God gives you counsel and prepares you ahead of time for what's about to occur in your life. Okay. Now, or at least he gives you the opportunity to be prepared. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm going to back up way back. And, uh, when I was in, uh, working on my, uh, a doctor's degree. I have a doctorate in Christian education or educational ministry. And, um, and so when you're working on a doctorate, you have to do a dissertation. So, uh, I was wrestling with what to do. And so, um, and, but there was this one idea I had and it was on emotional discipleship, emotional discipleship for Christians, because most, uh, discipleship material is geared towards, uh, intellectual and the thinking process, which affects your emotions, but it's usually information driven. And so I wanted to, I wanted to do my dissertation on why is it that there are so many Christians who know the Bible, 
but they worry, they get anxious, they're angry, they're impatient. The the Bible doesn't seem to be connecting with their emotions. They seem to be growing in knowledge of Scripture, but they're not growing in emotional maturity. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, so I did my dissertation on emotional discipleship. All right. So now with that set, that set in motion, um, me studying more about, um, emotional development, maturity, and, you know, that impacted the way I preach, the way I study that I'm always interested in human behavior and why people react the way they react, why I react the way I react. And so at that, at, at that time, God was already preparing me to, to grow emotionally, be able to handle what was about to come. Now, with that said, I'm an emotional person. Okay. Tears does not reflect someone who's emotionally out of control. It just means you're an emotional person. You wear it out there on your sleeve. Uh, usually what we mean by uh, an emotionally, like an emotionally disturbed person or a person who's emotionally out of control is they, they let their emotions drive their decisions. Okay. And, and, but God says, be angry and sin not. Don't let your emotions drive your decisions. Okay. So you can be emotional, just don't let it drive your decisions. So I was learning all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? And, and how, what does that mean and how to grow in it and all that kind of stuff. So God was already working on me. I mean, he's already starting to chill his way. And I'm not saying I do all this stuff perfectly, but he was, he was working. And, uh, so about three or four months prior to Pam being diagnosed, we're talking about counsel before the crisis. God is teaching me about some stuff, preparing me for stuff. So about three or four months uh, prior to Pam being diagnosed with leukemia, I started doing some research on anxiety because, uh, Kate Shaw and I, we were going to start doing some, uh, podcast about anxiety and, uh, and, uh, Kate had mentioned this guy named Steve Cuss, and um, and and so I started listening to some of his stuff, and just doing some research, and uh, you know I, I read his book, and and I was just he, him and a, a few others, but Steve Cuss is kind of significant in this process for me, and so um, he uh, he was talking about anxiety and your crisis and all this other kind of stuff, and so I was doing research, preparing stuff. And, you know, and I was all began preached a couple of sermons on the Bible, you know, out of the Bible regarding anxiety. I even began an anxiety journal. Now this is all before the leukemia thing. Okay. Started uh, keeping an anxiety journal just for uh, my anxiety. I just want to be able to identify them because part of the process of dealing with your anxiety is being able to recognize it. And most people don't. And so, but a journal helps you do that when you're kind of, you're, you you become your own lab rat. You just start writing down what you see and feel and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but now, in addition, I had mentioned earlier in this podcast that I'd always wanted wanted to write a book, and uh, and I thought, you know what? Now this is way, this is last year, early last year. I said, uh, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give a real effort. I'm going to just, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to tighten up the belt, and I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing best I know how. So. Um, uh, I began doing serious research and writing uh, on managing anxiety about being aware, calm, and present. Okay. And so, uh, and that also led to, you know, me studying the Bible, preaching some sermons on it, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and uh, doing a lot of research and reading and talking to other people about, you know, anxiety and how they handle it and all that kind of stuff and trying to understand what the Bible says about it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so through all of that, God is preparing me for this crisis event, you know, where the anxiety is about to go through the roof uh, for Jeff Stott, or at least potentially go through the roof. So what I'm saying to you is this, um, when I was, doing all of this and God was teaching me all the stuff about anxiety. Here's what I thought. I really thought I was studying it for somebody else. I thought, you know, as a pastor, I'm studying this because I, you know, I want to help people, you know, with the counseling because a lot of most counseling deals with some form of anxiety. They are upset about something. Okay. And yeah. right. So, um, you know, something's bothering them. And so, and, and anxiety is a big word that covers a large, large subject, but it's, I was, uh, doing all this and God was preparing me and, uh, for when the wheels all fell off, you know, uh, felt, you know, when they all fell off of my dreams for the future, when it fell off for, you know, having a wife that could help raise three, I mean, help raise two little kids, you know, and, um, 
and I'm not saying I, I'm perfect at this, but boy, I, you know, I can't imagine what I would be like if God had not been preparing me and I had not been listening, you know? Well, and I, I think you really hit the nail on the head um, when you said, and you had not been listening. So, you know, it, it it is profound to me just how often God is speaking to us and helping guide and instruct us through something. And we don't have sense enough to listen. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and to see the writing on the wall, you know. And so I, I have to ask, when you kind of look back, you know, obviously uh, perception generally comes from looking back at, at, at a situation or a portion of that situation. You kind of see clearly where God was working. How how impactful was that for you when you looked back and you saw all those all those indicators and how God had been working. How did you feel about that? Did you go to God and just thank him so much? Were you just awestruck or have you really thought about that too much? I mean, you know, looking back and seeing God work in this thing, I mean, that, that it's, that is miraculous. It is, it is quite impressive to me. Um, kind of watching you journey through this, how God had, had begun setting up and preparing you for this. I mean, how does that make you feel? Um, you know, when you think about that, I don't know, uh, because, <clears throat> okay, so the reality is when, when all this was going on, and it's still going on, and, but especially at the beginning of all this, um, I, I mean, it. okay, let me back up. One of the significant things that, as I look back on it, in the middle of it right now <laughs> is, uh, I think... It helped me to be more aware and accepting of how I felt instead of denying how I felt. Because what will happen is for Christians especially, we struggle with things like, well, is it a lack of faith if I think she's going to die? Is it a lack of faith if I'm angry at God for allowing all this to happen. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Is it a lack of faith for it? I mean, I mean, especially if I start blaming God or blaming me or blaming others, because what happens is because, you know, in the middle of all this, look, um, I am very committed to Pam, very loyal to Pam, been for 33 years. And, you know, I've got my own weaknesses. I got my own brokenness and, I have my own inner critic, you know? And so in my head, I, like one day, Pam and I were talking while she was at the bone marrow clinic. I, uh, she said something and I said, well, Pam, I said, I just feel like I'm not doing enough for you. And so, because in my head, the inner critic was saying, Jeff, you're not a good enough husband. You're not doing a good enough job. You're not helping her enough. You're not supporting her enough. You're not saying the right things. You know, I mean, that, but that's my inner critic. And that's the voice of anxiety. Okay. Anxiety yeah. tells you one of the messages of anxiety is that you're not good enough. Okay. And so, uh, and so, but what I'm saying is, is that through all of this, I, I, I was now at the point where I was able to recognize that quicker and i was able to take that to god and i was able to deal with it realize i mean in other words the emotional development in me doesn't necessarily mean you get rid of certain emotions it means you're able to manage those emotions more effectively so all that stuff was still there but it uh but i could ignore it more but yet not let it you know become my my identity you know okay so let me back up for just a minute all right uh, there's a movie, I think Russell Crowe was in it, one of his early ones, and he played the, uh, it's based on a true story, but I can't remember the guy's name. It's called A Beautiful Mind. And yeah. did you ever see that? Did you ever see The Beautiful Mind? I've, I've seen portions of that okay, movie. Okay, yeah. Okay, so if you haven't seen the, the movie, it's about this guy who, uh, he's got a mental illness, and he, he sees people that aren't there. Uh Specifically, he sees three people who aren't there, and uh, but he doesn't know they're not real. Well, this guy ends up teaching at Harvard. He's he's a genius. He will he wins the Nobel Peace Prize eventually. And I mean, this guy is just incredible. This is all true story. And um, 
And so eventually he uh, was able to manage these three people that he saw all the time. And he'll, and he will say, he'll be like teaching a class or lecture and there'll be like, you know, a hundred people in the, in the lecture room. And these three people are sitting on up, sitting up there on the back row. He sees them. And he said, I know it sounds crazy. He said, but what happened was, uh, what, what for him, what helped him to move forward was he said, I have to recognize they are in the room, but I don't have to talk to them. So the movie ends with him. You just see him at different, doing different things with these three people always in the crowd or standing off to the side and he just ignores them. And, uh, and that's, that's what anxiety is. And you're not going to get rid of anxiety. Anxiety is always going to be there. You're always going to face it. The emotions that come with anxiety, but, the, but it's how you manage it. It's about managing anxiety. And, um, by the way, that's what the book's going to be about. I'm about, Oh, by the way, that book I'm about halfway through. I'm hoping to have it released by next year. So everybody buy it because, uh, it ain't cheap, uh, to write a book by the way. <laughs> and so, um, uh, there's, yeah. but anyway, um, uh, and I think for me in my journey, uh, emotional God was preparing me emotionally. Now I, I, I don't want to sound like, man, I've got this thing figured out and uh, that I manage it always correctly. I mean, there are times where, um, I will break down and cry. I mean, okay. So for those who come to Genesis church, uh, I'll, I'll give some updates on Pam and I hate doing it because I always start crying when I start giving updates on Pam, <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know. It's a personal thing. And, uh, and I, you know, again, I, I cried the, drop of a hat, but, um, uh, you know, uh, but I'm, I'm finding that being able to manage my emotions and it, I don't want to say ignore my emotions, but being able to identify them, which are the healthy ones, which ones are not the healthy ones and being able to function because here's the deal, uh, right now, like when you're in the middle of a crisis and I said, little things are very important. Um, look, when you're going through the middle of a crisis, you cannot shut down. Not if, not if you got kids. Not if you got other people relying on you, you know, you're going to have to get up. You got to get going. You got to, you got to find a way and God's going to provide that for you. He's going to prepare that for you and God's going to provide the resources and we'll get into, and we're going to end it here, but we're going to get in. I do in the next podcast, we're going to talk about how God uh, provided through all of this. Okay. What he did, because I haven't talked much about that, but I mean, I got a list of stuff that I'm just going to walk through and say, Hey, God did this. God did that. God did this. God did that. And, uh, during the crisis before and during the crisis. And, um, and, and in the next podcast, we're also going to talk about, uh, growing in the crisis. How do we do that? How do we turn the crisis into a growth opportunity? Um, because you want to come out of the valley, you want to come on the other side uh, stronger. You don't want to come out of it wiser. You want to come out of it deeper. Uh, you want to be able to take what God has just got you through, and you want to become a blessing and a resource to someone else that's entering into it or is currently in the middle of it. You know, um, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, and and what the Bible has to say about that. And then uh, on the next podcast, uh, we're if we well the next podcast will we'll end because this will be that'll be the third one on this. And if you also, I'm tired of talking about me. Okay, so <laughs> but uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, some mistakes I made in this process and uh, and some some weaknesses that have created some problems for me. And uh, they have been highlighted because when you're in a crisis event and you're going through anxiety, uh, your weaknesses will come to the top. Whatever you're anxious about, it will. Everything is highlighted, magnified, gets larger, and uh, and and you cannot hide your weaknesses, you know, to, from yourself. But you might be able to hide them from others, but you can't from yourself. And so we're we're going to talk about that a little bit, and hopefully that'll be encouraging to you as well. All right. Any last question on this? Because we're going to wrap it up. We've been going about an hour, I think. And so, well, so I, you know, I, I, I did have some other questions that popped in my mind, but mm -hmm. I, I fear that if I were to ask those, we're going to go for another hour. Uh, we won't. Because, uh, you know, how, however, go ahead and ask them. At least I can be thinking about them for next time. What's sure. good? Yeah. What's good? Sure. So one of the one of the questions uh, that that has been on my mind is, do you ever get tired? 
of talking about mm. this situation. Mm. You know, because obviously it's so emotionally charged, mm -hmm. uh, and and you've got a lot of people that care about you and Pam and the family. Right. You've got a lot of people who are emotionally invested uh, in this as friends. Right. And so something I want you to think about, and maybe we can, uh, you know, because the, the listeners, when they're going through their crisis event, they've got people that care about them and, and mm -hmm. that want updates and, and things like that. And I thought maybe that would be a good topic to kind of cover and, yeah. uh, you know, just give some folks some other things to think about, you know, as they're going through their crisis event. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and we can cover that next time. That's, uh, yeah, that's really, got any, got any, what, a, got another question? That we'll cover that's the time. only that's that's oh. where i'm gonna that's where i'm gonna leave it for now yeah uh, and good. then I've, I've got some some other questions that uh for for the next podcast uh, okay all right yeah all right well okay we're gonna wrap it up here um uh, i hope that uh this has been entertaining in some level meaning grabbed your attention and held it and so uh hopefully it's been helpful more importantly uh and and as we wrap this up, I, I want to talk to those who are going through a crisis. My guess is you're listening to this podcast because you're, you're going through one um, or you're just nosy and you want to hear what's going on with Joe Stott, <laughs> which is okay too. I, you know, I'm fine with that. And, uh, and, or that you like Joe Stott and you care about Joe Stott and you want to know what's happening with him. So um, anyway, uh, I do want to say to you that, uh, God has not forgotten you if you're going through a crisis and it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be exhausted. It's okay to be, get frustrated. Um, and you, and it's not about, you know, trying to hurry up and get through the Valley. It's about taking one step at a time, one day at a time and just saying, okay, God, um, what do you want me to do today? How can I love the people in my life? You know, even though I'm hurting, how can I bless people in my life, even though I'm tired? And then also let people bless you. Let them love on you. Um, whether that is a word of encouragement, whether that is asking questions, whether that is, you know, watching your kids, mowing your yard, cleaning your house, providing food, whatever it is that, you know, you need done, you know, um, let them bless you. And, uh, because uh, that is God reaching out to you through those people. And um, and I tell you what, having a church family going through this, I don't know how people get through it without a church family. I mean, I got Amen. family that's helpful, but I, I tell you what, man, the church family, man, they have stepped up. And so, uh, uh, and God is speaking and loving Pam and I and our kids through this whole process through them. And uh, in very, tangible practical way so don't give up uh you know there are better days ahead um and more importantly when it's when it's all said and done you will be more like christ um you know you're going to be chiseled that some of that junk that you've been hanging on to is going to drop and you're and, and what's going to happen is and what's happening to me is that you're going to look at that stuff that's come off of you and, and that you've been holding on to and you're thinking why in the world was i holding on to that amen you know? yeah uh, because we have deceived ourselves so much. All right. So, all right, guys, till next time, uh, uh, we will, um, uh, continue marching forward and, you know, just living for God. So we'll catch you later. Thank you for listening. This has been conversations. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to click subscribe and leave us a great review. And to find out more about Genesis Church, please visit www.genesisbegins.com.